Romans chapter uh, 16, and we're going we're gonna to finish up, kind of like pick up where we left off last week. Um, I don't want to, uh, we won't stay here too long, but I, I want to kind of go back to this for just a second. I remember when Paul writes about Aquila and Priscilla, and he says to receive them, uh, welcome them because they risked their necks for him. We don't know what exactly they did in terms of risking their neck uh, for Paul. But do you remember what we said about that when we were talking about them risking their necks? How we said that Paul was not exactly um, a, uh, well, Paul was a lightning rod. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Paul was a lightning rod. Who all was at odds with Paul? The Jews and the Gentiles, right? Because Paul was offensive to both. So whether it was something that happened with the Jews or something that would happen with the Gentiles, Paul often found himself in uh, what we would call a dire situation, right? You recall uh, Paul was uh, stoned, left for dead. He was beaten. He was chased. He was threatened. All sorts of things happened to him. Uh, any of you all ever, uh, let's see, how do, we, how do we say this without getting ourselves in trouble? Have you ever been with somebody and maybe they got a little crazy? Or maybe you had a friend that was um, a reckless or a friend who maybe was a little more prone to trouble or maybe you are that friend for others. It's like, hey, if I'm around them, we're going to get in trouble. It's bound to happen. Last night, I had a really interesting experience. I have raised three. Well, I guess technically I've raised Emmy, too. She's old enough now. She can live on her own. But I have raised four daughters. Uh, any of you all in this room have uh, been 100% happy with uh, the way your children have lived their lives or decisions they've made? Absolutely not. None of you are. So I'm not going to pretend like I am either. But um, I'm not that pastor that is going to let people beat up on his family and pick, and pick at what goes on because you don't want me exposing your family. I'm joking. I'm joking. Or am I? But I don't do that, so don't do that to me. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you because you don't want me doing to you what you think you might be wanting to do to me. That's a joke, terrible joke, but you knew what I meant. But I've raised my daughters, and I've raised them to be, you know, I'm actually quite proud of all of my daughters, how they've turned out, uh, be able to think for themselves and to be able to stand their ground and, and to uh, you know, be good people, love people, care for people, take care of people. I'm proud of them. Way to go. Good job, girls. But I took Taylor to a ball game last night. We wanted to go see Tegan and the rest of the team play. <clears throat> and uh, she's my daughter. Let me explain what I mean. <coughs> We're... We're sitting there, and, and I have this, if you go to a ball game with me, it doesn't matter what ball game it is. Like when we went to the UK, U of, I went to the UK U of L game with, with Shelby. There was a play <coughs> where they called, um, what did they call, uh, um, goodness gracious, there was some kind of, what, what play was it? Um, <laughs> it was a foul, yes, but we're talking football. Um, unnecessary roughness or something, I don't know, something on UK. And everybody at the, at the stadium is just, you know, screaming every time Louisville does anything, you know, yelling and carrying on. Oh, that's holding, holding. And it's just constant. Well, they got really quiet 
when they made that call. And I looked at my daughter and I said, this is my moment. This is my time to shine, girl. And she's like, oh, my God, Dad, don't you say anything. I was like, oh, oh, you know I am. You know I am. So I said, typical UK. And it was like, ha-ha, Louisville fan, you know, okay, have your moment. Then I was like, bunch of thugs. And then they're like, you can see it. And my daughter's like, okay, you did it, Dad. You're good. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 the third time's the charm. I don't even remember what I said. It wasn't that bad. I just don't remember what it was. I said something else, and pew, people start turning around, and this little old lady in front of me turns around and goes, hee, 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 and giggles. And I'm like, as long as Granny's not mad, she won't let these other people get to me. <clears throat> but we went to the ball game, and Taylor, you know, we were, well, we were fussing about some of the calls and, and talking back and forth about it, and, I don't know what came over the child, but all at once, she just lit into this referee. I mean, just gave it. She, I mean, she's so shy. Yeah. She's like, what are you talking about? What are you? And then she gets done, and she goes. And, I, and for a brief moment, I was the voice of calm and reason. And I'm like. This is what my friends feel like when they go places with me, you know. They worry about what I'm going to say or do. My grandfather was that way. I remember as a little boy, I couldn't have been three or four years old. We were at the McDonald's on Louisville Road. And I guess, you know, Juniper Hills Pool had been open. And I was in there, and there were some girls in there, and they were getting food. And my grandfather goes, here, Shanghai, quit looking at them girls up there. They don't want nothing to do with you. And I'm like, Huh? What are you talking about? And you learned you never knew what he would say. Paul was the kind of guy that you everywhere he went, there was going to be some sort of controversy. Not that he was bringing, like wanting to be that way, but Paul was the guy that is like, okay, I can either address this situation the right way or I can ignore it. Okay, I'm not the kind of person that can ignore it. So I'm going to say whatever the Lord leads me to say wherever he leads me to say it, and to whomever he tells me to say that. I don't need to explain this to you all, because I know you know this, but for the sake of conversation, and maybe there's someone watching that doesn't go to church here, or isn't in this community, or, or maybe doesn't go to church at all, there are some churches that refuse to say anything corrective because they don't want to run anyone off or hurt anyone's feelings. There are also churches that all they do is gripe, complain, yell, and scream about every little problem that's going on to the point that they're not really being productive, they're being destructive, right? But even, even as much as I don't want to cause any kind of unnecessary problems, sometimes things have to be said, right? Things have to be said, and regardless of who the person is that might be offended... I have to say what needs to be said. I'm not talking about yelling at somebody, getting in someone's grill. I'm not talking about making a fool out of myself and my family. I'm not talking about picking a fight with someone because I'm mad at them. I'm talking about there have been times, you all, that I have been teaching or preaching and I say something. And I am like totally, totally caught off guard. Like I'm just talking. 
then all of a sudden someone's like, Rawr! or later on I get that text or I get a phone call and I'm like, man, you're going to have to walk me through this because I have no idea what you're talking about. Sometimes it's not even, I mean, sometimes I know, okay, I'm going into the hornet's nest here. And I, this is kind of a running gag with L.A. and Dave and Chad and Braden, some of them John. I'll be like, you know, I got to thinking as I was talking, if I say this, it's probably going to get me in trouble. And the thought process goes something like this. Thought comes in the head. Oh, you better not say that. Oh, I'm going to say it. Now, I'm not talking about saying something stupid. I'm talking about saying something good. Paul would be shunned by a lot of people. Right? He would be. He was. There were people that would not interact with him because they said he was too controversial. Or he was just too uh, abrasive, maybe, is not the right word. I don't think he was abrasive. I think he just was was bold. But when he was talking about Priscilla and Aquila, he says specifically, they stuck their necks out for me. And I think it went something like that. Where even though they knew that Paul was going to be controversial in the sense that he was going to confront things that others wouldn't or, or confront things that had not been confronted, they, they stuck their necks out and said, we believe in you. We believe God has called you. We think you're doing the right thing. And we are going to... It wasn't even really so much support him as it was, we're going to link arms with you and we're going to walk with you. And Paul says, man, I really, really, really appreciate that. And then he makes this statement, which is where I kind of want to key in on for a few minutes, and then we'll move forward. He says, and greet, this is in Romans 16, he says, and greet the church that is in their house. Now, we talked about this last week. At the, at the end of our study, we got into this, the church meeting in the house. Now, what that meant was that they used someone's home to have their church services. Oftentimes, it would be the roof of a home because it was an open area. And open meaning there, there weren't any walls, maybe, or there, there, you know, there weren't any obstructions to where a group of people could gather together and meet, kind of like what we're doing here tonight, only in the open air or in a, a room above the dwelling place where they would have storage or whatnot. But anyhow, the point being, whether they were in someone's home or in an open room above the home, what does, what does it mean that the church was meeting in Priscilla and Aquila's house? Now, obviously, you would say a church that is just starting out would be a handful of people that would gather together and the intimacy that you would have inside of someone's home would be perfectly ideal for the birthing, the growing, the nurturing of a young church, right? Of course, of course. That's exactly what happens. Is there ever a point when a church should lose that intimacy, that closeness with one another? No. Now let's ask the ugly question. Does that happen, though? Now, I'm not going to go into a session of, of why that is, although that would be a great topic for a podcast. But somewhere along the way, 
the connection, the closeness, the personal, the personableness of the church drifts, it wanders, it dwindles, whatever. In the life of a church like the church here at Monterey, this church has been here since 1860s. 1860s, and, and, and Margaret Murphy was very, very adamant, actually. I won't say she was convinced, she was adamant that this church existed before that. It just wasn't known as, it was like a small house church that met before that. It was organized in 1867, recognized in 1871, and then this building that you're in right here uh, was built in 1901. Until that time, they were meeting down at the road where the Christian church is now. It was a different building. That building burned down in, I forget when it was, maybe the 50s or something, or the, or the third, I don't know. That, that burning, building burned, and then they rebuilt the block when it's down there now, or stone one, whatever that is. But this building that you're in was 1901. This horseshoe around it was around the 50s, I think, when it was built, something like that, 50s, 60s, 50s. So, you have a long stretch of time, and during a long stretch of time, things can happen, can't they? You go through different seasons, different things take place. And it's possible that through the years and multiple different pastors that things can kind of get a little disjointed, discombobulated, right? Disassociated. Do you know what the biggest struggle I face as a pastor is? I mean, okay, there's 6,000 of them. But in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of where we are as a church, is we're in a space where we're growing, and when you're trying to connect the folks that have been here with the folks that are new, and draw that together. I'm not, I'm not saying it's difficult because people are difficult. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's a very challenging situation. Chris, um, you and L.A. probably don't like the same exact foods. I'm going to guess. Most likely. They're, do you like hot and spicy stuff? Do you like hot and spicy stuff? See, he likes hot and spicy stuff. You're kind of a eh. Uh, seafood? Seafood? Okay, now they're brothers. Uh, are you a Packers fan? You, L.A., are you a Packers fan? You a Packers fan? No, no, not at all. Right, right. Hey, now you're at odds again, so now you're separated again. See how easy this is to divide and conquer? Uh, but here, here's, the, here's the interesting place I found myself in back in 2013 when I got here is... Instead of saying, okay, we're going to go in one direction or the other. Either we're going to remain a traditionally rooted church and we're not going to worry about trying to draw any new people. Or we're just going to worry about getting new people in here and everybody else can just eat it. But I was like, no, man, I think it's possible to do something really, really crazy and bridge the two and bring them together. It's possible. I believe it. It's crazy. It's, it's a miracle, if it ha but I believe it can happen. I believe in miracles. So here we are, nine and a half years in, and you're seeing new people and folks who've been here a long time connecting. Right? You're watching it happen. It's happening. You're seeing new people that come in, and they bring a new life. You see people who've been here a while who understand, hey, I get it. We have to roll with this. We've got to let this thing grow and let this build. 
I don't know if you know this, if you figure this out yet or not. I'm going to open the door for just a second and let you all see inside this beautifully diabolical mind of mine. But I don't like hyping things up. Do you know what I mean? Like, if we're going to be a church, let's be a church. Don't worry about trying to get everybody out in the community to know what you do or what you're doing. Like, if we have an event, just have the event. Go and tell somebody about it. It's not like we have the event, now we can check it off our list and say, look at what we did, but then not be the church the other 364 days of the year. So, it's, I'm not telling you I knew what I was doing, because I have, Everett's not here, but Kay, you can amen this. 99.9% of whatever it did, he didn't really know what he was doing, the Lord was leading but looking back, you can see what God did, and you can put it together, but it's always hindsight is twenty twenty. But I look and I see now that the things the Lord stopped me from doing and the things that the Lord pushed me to do were serving to bring the church, not just bring the church together, but to bring people together around, unite them around the purpose of the church, which is for us to be a living and loving body that takes care of one another, the arm. Anybody got in the shower today? I'm not going to ask Dave, he ain't got no hair, but I got a little bit of hair left. Do you know what my hands did for my head? They washed my hair. Do you know who coordinated in that? My forearm, my upper arm, my shoulder, and my back. And when I almost slipped because somebody left something in the floor that was slippery, my abs joined in the mix. When we, when we focus on loving the Lord and letting Him work in our lives individually to produce the changes that need to be produced for us to be able to experience the peace that He wants us to have, that also, it, it, it I don't want to say forces us, but it causes us as believers to come together with one another because as we see the, the work that God is doing in us, it encourages us that God is working in other people and we start to celebrate what God is doing in each other's lives and we rejoice in the things that God is doing and we focus on the change, not the problems. And now all of a sudden, there might be 200, 100, 100 150, 200 people that are working together and coming together. And you feel that. You feel it. So the biggest thing that I would that I as a pastor watch out for is chaos and, and disorder and animosity and friction because that's not necessary. Basically, what I'm getting at is regardless of whether there are 100 people, 10 people, 2,000 people, 50 people, we should all feel like we are sitting in our living room when we get together. Do you think maybe that's why they called it the house of the Lord? Or the Lord's house? We gather here together in the living room. And together, as a family. I mean, do y'all, y'all, are y'all still able to get together as a family and watch movies or anything? No, not so much at our house because of phones. Phones get in the way. Sometimes the enemy will be like, everybody put your phones up here. Put your phones on the, give me your phones. I want your phones right now. We're going to watch a movie. Because two minutes in, me and Jennifer are going to be on our phones. So she'll take them from us. <laughs> yeah, I've got to watch out for that disunity because here it comes. But 
<laughs> I've heard some people say that I'm leaving organized religion and I'm just going to meet in my home with a handful of other believers. Now, if you're doing that for the purpose of establishing a new work in a new place, or because you know there are people that, that you know, you're, you're going to minister to and you want to let that grow, that's fine. But just because there are problems in the traditional organized church, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't mean that because of what Paul says here, that it was always his intention or it was always the Lord's intention for churches to stay so small that they had to meet in someone's house. It had nothing to do with the size of the congregation. It had everything to do with the condition of the congregation. How do we grow and maintain that familial spirit, that family? How do we do that? It's actually really simple. It's really simple. You form bonds with other people in the church. You look out and care for one another. You take care of each other. And as the church grows, other people will see you doing that, and they will begin to do that with other people as the Lord leads them. And before long, you could have 10,000 people in a building, and it'd feel like you're all together, connected, all at the same time in a small little country church. It has nothing to do with the size of the congregation because there were some congregations that grew to great numbers. Had nothing to do with that. It's all about what God wants to do, right? How he wants to. And I'll tell you right now that if things were to grow here and we were to become some church that has thousands of people, oh, you better believe I would entertain the idea of having groups meeting in homes or branching off and having groups that meet somewhere else and, and, and establishing other churches. Absolutely, I would consider that. If the Lord led us that way. But it's not about growing. It's not about building. It's not about the size of the congregation. It's not about any of the things that we often think are so important. The whole point of what Paul says in this statement is, hey, those of you, those of you folks who are meeting together, whether they were meeting in someone's home or whether they were meeting somewhere else, those of you who constitute the church at Rome, greet the house church that meets in Priscilla and Aquila's house. How would they greet them? How would they be able to greet them unless they were coming to visit them? Unless they were going to see them? So here is this church in Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila that is going to come and meet with the church in Rome. I don't know, Gene Allen, what they did. I have no idea what the purpose of this greeting was. But may I make a suspicion, or may I state my suspicion? Do you think it's possible? We know that Priscilla and Aquila, according to the book of Acts, took Apollos under their wing, and Apollos would become a very well-known pastor in the early days of the church. He was very well-liked, and he was very, very intelligent and very good at what he did. So much so that Paul had to say, listen, you don't belong to Paul or Apollos. God is who we belong to. Paul plants, Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. When Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside and explained to him what they had come to learn and know about the Lord, because Apollos didn't understand the working of the Holy Spirit, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they explained it to him, and then Apollos goes on to do what he does. 
Is it possible? Is it possible that Priscilla and Aquila had established this church in their house and they would be able, they would be, it would be possible for them, they would be uh, good candidates for going to this fledgling church in Rome and bringing their folks with them and showing them what a church is. Modeling that, exemplifying that. Form. I don't know. But I could sure see that happening based on what we know about Priscilla and Aquila. Again, though, Paul says greet them. Do you know what the word greet means? It means to embrace them, to welcome them, to acknowledge them, to, to basically to, to bring them into your fold. You are all are, you're all of the same body. So, what is it that would unite the church at Corinth, the church at Rome, and the Jews and the Gentiles that would all constitute these church bodies? There was one thing. It was the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's it. And the faithful and true and accurate teaching of the word. Doesn't matter how many people, it doesn't matter how few. The one thing about a young couple when they get together is there's good likelihood they're going to reproduce. I don't have to explain that to anybody, do I? Braden, you. Okay. All right. <laughs> Just give me a, give me a second. Oh man, sometimes I crack myself up. When <laughs> when God told Adam to be to be fruitful and multiply. Now, now jokes aside, I'm, I'm serious. No more joke. I promise I won't make any more jokes. But when God said to Adam and he be fruitful and multiply. That gives us an indication of what God expects from anything he gives life to. For it to be fruitful and for it to multiply. Let's say that Chris says, I, here I go. Anytime I fold my arms and I do that, you know I'm going to say something smart. Like, Chris says, I don't believe a church should be more than 33 people because that's how old Jesus was when he died. Right? Or Gene Allen says, well, I disagree with you, Chris. I did some research, and the typical house in that day was about 400 square feet. And based on the size of the average human being in that day, you could only fit about 12 people in that room. So stick it. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Right? Where in there did he tell them what the threshold was? Did he say, only have three children? Was he, like, was he Chinese? Only two kids. Oh, well, I'm not going to be on YouTube. Don't even put this one on there. Don't even do it. Don't just, don't even think about it. There was no specification. Just be fruitful and multiply. I mean, it's common sense. says don't have more kids than you can take care of. So don't have a kid because you can't take care of them. I remember, I remember that when I was young, people would say, no, my story's a little different. Before kids, I can remember hearing people say, well, I wish I'd waited a little later in life to have my kids. 
because I feel like I wasn't mature enough to take care of them. I didn't have the money at the time to give them a good life. And then I'd hear the other person said, uh-uh, 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 have them kids while you're young because you don't want to be chasing them around when you're in your 40s and 50s. And then I would hear the grandma, the grandma voice of reason would come in and say, honey, just have kids when you want to have them. It don't matter if you're young or you're old, you ain't going to be able to take care of them. And you ain't never going to have enough money. And you're never going to have enough time. And you're never going to have enough energy. And you're never going to be able to say everything's right where I want it to be. If you wait till you buy your house, then you want to wait until you pay it off. If you wait till you pay it off, and you want to wait till you get that car paid, those, that third or fourth car paid for. And then you're never going to have them. Because you can always find a reason not to. And you can always find a reason to not want a church to grow. Well, if we get more people, we'll have more people in the pews. The pews will wear out faster. Well, the more people, the more electricity they'll use because they'll be wanting to come down, not just on Sunday mornings. They'll want to come on Wednesdays. They might even be nuts and want to come some other time during the week. And I just don't think we should have to put the lights on for that. A wear and tear on the carpet. I dismissed the good old days when nobody was here. Look, man, I don't know about you, but when I had my kids, when the couch would wear out, you know what I'd do? I'd get another one. You know what I'd do when they'd outgrow their shoes? I'd buy more. You know what I'd do whenever they got hungry? For the 397,455 million eleventh time today, that day, I'd smack them right now. I'd, I'd feed them. I'd get them something to eat. I'd feed them. I just changed. I learned to roll with it. Just let it happen, man. And not, I'm not quoting the Beatles here, but let it be. Just, just, just let it be. Let it be what it's going to be, man. And I meant to say it that way. I was in Louisville Monday. I had to make a run to Louisville. I went to the gas station, Thornton's. Boy, it's been a while since I've been to a Thornton's. It felt good. I was on Bashford. I was, well, actually, I was on a, uh, some other road. Anyhow, can't remember where I was at. I was somewhere. Uh, no, I was uh, road over from, from not Bashford. Manor. Well, yeah, I was just down from Bashford Manor. That's where I was. I was just down from Bashford Manor. Anyhow, I stopped at Thornton's, getting ready to get on the Waterson. And I hadn't eaten lunch. And I was like, I really need coffee. I also need to eat. So I grabbed my go-to, which is peanut butter crackers and peanut butter cookies. Pretty good mix. So I got me a coffee, walked up, laid it on the counter, and the cashier <laughs> looks me right in the eye. It was the coolest moment ever. He goes, it just be like that sometime, don't it? <laughs> and without even cracking a, cracking a smile or taking a breath, I said, and this do be one of them times when it do be that way. And he nodded, and I nodded. I paid for my stuff. We're brothers now. We are connected. <laughs> you want to hear a funny story, Josh? No kidding. When I, when I was talking to that guy, when, listen, when I was talking to that guy, do you know what? Do you know? This is like a serious funny thing. I'm dead serious. Perkins will, will, will confer. Uh, c- uh, when I had that interaction with that guy, you know what I thought to myself? Man, we could start a church right here. This is how you do it, man. Getting to know people, connecting, 
And I'm like, man, this, this, is how, this is how things happen. You know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to Louisville, but I'm just saying. Having that interaction, like, this is how it is. Like, what if every time you went to the hop shops or down here to Harry's or wherever you go, or Smitty's for you bad people. <laughs> They're the only place that sells alcohol. is an alcohol joke in a Baptist church. It was, it was I'm on one tonight. <laughs> but they got it. I've had none, <laughs> no zero. No, I got a hold of the insurance adjuster lady, so I'm happy. I'm, I'm pumped. But anyhow, when <laughs> take it, take it all away. What if, what if we saw every single interaction that we have with other people as an opportunity for us to form a bond, to make a connection for the Lord? Just, just. Maybe church is more about bond than it is about a building. Maybe it's more about the connections and the relationships than it is with the tradition and the structure, the bylaws. Maybe it's more about Jesus than it is about us. Maybe what binds us all together is his word and his love and not our ideas, our thoughts our desires, and our wants. And maybe that's what Aquila and Priscilla understood. And it's possible that Priscilla and Aquila understood this before Paul did. It's possible. But here's, here's where it kind of gets... I mean, there's nothing, like, uh, nothing crazy about what we're going to read from this point forward. But if you remember last week, I wrote down the word... Real. Real life. Remember my interaction I told you about at Thornton's Monday? Okay, just hear me out. Listen to what Paul writes. Greet my beloved Eponitus, 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 who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Just listen to what he says and think about my meeting at Thornton's. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. How was he converted to Christ? I don't know, but are you all familiar with the story in the book of Acts where Philip is transported by the Holy Spirit, taken somewhere in the Spirit? And he's to, yeah, he's talking to this, this gentleman next to him. The gentleman just happens to be reading the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And he's like, Philip's like, hey, what's up? And he's like, oh, hey, man, I'm just, man, I'm reading this, this scroll or whatever I got here from somebody, and I, I don't understand it. What, what does this mean? Like, what does this really mean? And so he explains it to this man who turns out to be an Ethiopian eunuch, right? And he, he tells him what's going on and explains to him what, what Isaiah 53 means. And then all of a sudden the guy's like, oh my gosh, I get it. I get it. He's like, I believe. And he's like, what else do I need to do? And he's like, well, you need to be baptized. Or you should be baptized. I shouldn't use the word need like you got to or you're not going to make it to heaven. But, you know, well, the, Jesus said to you know, be baptized. And he says, well, how about right there? 
There's a puddle of water here. There's a, there's, a, there's a pond. How about right here? I get baptized. It, what if it was a Thornton's? He walks in and says, hey, what's going on? Have you ever walked into a restaurant or a store and you said, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, it's all right. And you're like, it's not all right. Something's wrong. What's going on with you? I'm just having a tough time right now. Uh-oh, look out. You're about to form a bond. And what if that conversation would lead either to a series of events or that very moment would be that moment when this person would find Christ? How did, a, how did a pinatist come to the Lord? I don't know, but he did. And it happened in a real way with real people. Real events took place, and this man really believed. He really believed. How do I know he really believed? Because Paul wouldn't call him a convert if it didn't happen. Was it Paul that led him? Maybe. It may have been some other unnamed person. Don't get this idea in your mind that the only people that were believers at this time were the 12 disciples and Paul. There were multitudes of people who had begun or who, who had, had, had begun to believe or who believed. And the Lord began working in all of them. The Lord began to move and stir their hearts and call them into certain areas or avenues of ministry or lay on their heart to use the gifts that he had given them to serve him in order to take the message out to the people. Not to just have a church and build this empire, but to have a family, a living room where people come together and meet with one another and meet with the Lord, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It just takes two or three to constitute a church. But there's no limit that says it has to be only two or three or 20 or 30 or whatever. Forget about all those numbers. Forget about all those statistics and all the, 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 these arbitrary ideas of, of how it works. Throw all the books of how-to out the window. Don't listen to the people online that are going to tell you how to grow a church or how a growing church should be. Listen to what God says. What does the Word say? That's what matters. What does His Word say? Here's what His Word says. Paul says, Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Who was Epinetus? I don't know. He's some dude named Epinetus. And he loved Jesus. And Paul loved him, called him my beloved. That's what makes me wonder if maybe he was one of Paul's converts because he uses the term beloved. But remember, he also says some really nice things about, um, what was her name? The chick we first talked about. No, not Priscilla and Aquila, before them. Phoebe. Phoebe. Remember, he has great things to say about Phoebe, too. So here's a Pinatus. We've got another name here that's been added to the list of people that Paul wanted to recognize to the Roman church. Meaning, these people are going to come in contact with them some way, some shape, some form, some fashion. Was Epinetus a missionary? Was Epinetus an evangelist? Was Epinetus an apostle? Was Epinetus a... I don't know. I don't know what his, what his calling was, but I know he was born again. And Paul calls him a beloved person that he is excited for the Roman church to greet. He says, greet Mary, who worked hard for you. 
what? Greet Mary who worked hard for you. Who is Mary? I don't know. What did she do? I don't know. But I know her name's Mary and she worked hard for the Roman church. I'm not trying to be funny or humorous. I'm, I'm trying to make this real. I want you to think, like, go ahead and let your mind wander. I wonder what Mary did. What, what would Mary have done that, would have, that would, would have constituted working hard for the Roman church? I don't know. I mean, what kind of work goes into a church? Think about it. What kind of stuff goes on behind the scenes that people don't see? Like, think about it. What, what, what could Mary have done? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Mary wrote letters. Maybe Mary um, uh, helped to use her business to draw people and, or connect people together, to come together and form this church. Maybe Mary gave money. Maybe Mary was wealthy. I don't know what Mary did. But Mary did something, and it was hard work, according to Paul. And Paul was not, you know, he was not unaccustomed to hard work. So for her to be a hard worker, she must have really been working hard. I'm not capping obvious. That's not what I'm doing here. What I'm trying to state is think about it from Paul's perspective. Apparently, Mary had some pivotal, pivotal part to play in the founding of this church. Greet Adronicus and Junia. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Now, kinsmen means they're Jews. It may even mean that they're from the tribe of Benjamin. But they're his kinsmen. And fellow prisoners, meaning they're locked up with... They have, are locked up with or going to be locked up with Paul. Or they've been locked up with him, I should say, at some point. He says that these two are well known to the apostles. And they were in Christ before me. So, the apostles and Paul, well, guess what? There were believers in between there. And Adronicus and Junia are two of them. He goes on and he says, Greet, greet Impliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Another mention of someone who's close to Paul. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophena and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, oh, this one kills me. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. I'm, I, I want to come back to that in a second. Greet, Asyncritus, this, the, these names are very, very interesting. Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogos, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. When Paul calls someone beloved, do you understand what that means? It's his friend. Someone that has been through the, through the fire with him. Someone that's been there when he was down. Someone who's been there when he was broken. Someone who's been there when it looked like all the odds were against him. Or when all the odds were against him. And they stayed true. They stayed loyal. They didn't turn away. 
the one that really makes it personal, I think, that, or that draws in the personableness of it, is when he talks about, uh, who, what was his name? Was it Ruth? No. Yeah. Greet Ruth is chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Paul was not a, a man who did not have the same, you know, emotional and and uh, psychological needs of, uh, as anyone else. He was a human being just like we all are. And Paul himself needed someone to be like that mother figure in, 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 in his life. And here she was. Uh, this is a very personal part of his letter where he is naming people that he considers close to him. Do you guys realize that I have a list too. As a pastor, there are people that God has put in my life. And you all are in that list in different ways. Because we're all, all of us are a part of the church. Not just a few, not just a couple, not just the the deacons or the elders or the whatever group you want to label all of us do you remember when i told the story sunday about foster did you all know anyone you all know foster foster was just so just when i say simple that's not an insult he was not a complex creature and he was very quiet. Boy, when he spoke. Do you know what I mean? And if you think about that interaction Sunday morning when I was talking about Foster, I think you could feel what I was saying, not just hear what I was saying. This is what Paul is doing. Paul is not this master theologian, this grandiose man who has it all figured out and his life is perfect. He has no problems, no troubles, no concerns, no fears, no worry. He was a man just like all of us. And yes, when we read the epistles, the letters that Paul wrote, it's hard to not get swept up in the grandeur of everything that's being said. But Paul would say to you, it is not I. But it is Christ in me that does all of these things. Here you have the real man. So, so if it was real people, just salt of the earth, genuine, real, authentic people, not people who had been trained in the art of acting like Christians, Wow, that was harsh. Not just people who played the part on Sunday morning. These are people that lived at 24-7, 365 and a quarter or whatever that thing is you say. These were people who really were all in. All in for the Lord. But while they were all in for the Lord, they had wives, they had children, they had moms, they had dads. They had things that they had to deal with like bills. Yuck. Kids grow, no, I'm sorry, that's not gross. All of these things that they had to deal with called responsibilities. But in the middle of all that, 
They kept Christ as their focus, Christ as their guide. And while they were living life, they were also doing something unbelievably incredible. They were building the kingdom. Right? They're leading, they're leading others to Christ. They're growing the maturity level of the church. They're participating in this, this incredible thing called the church. Sunday school, we were talking about the human body this past Sunday. It's an incredible machine. It's unbelievable. Your body, it really is incredible. We all fuss about things that we don't like about our bodies. And listen, we're all flawed in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But when you look at the general makeup of the human body, it's quite incredible. It really is. I mean, for starters, how does all this dirt stay in its place? Just that alone is incredible. Then you think about the organs of the body, the skin, the heart, the liver, the intestines, the brain, if you got one, right? The cardiovascular system, the pulmonary system, the fact that your body is a closed engine, a closed system, blood, air, all of the functions of the body. They all take place behind the scenes. and You don't see it. While you're walking down the aisle of the grocery store, your body is doing complex diagnostics while you don't, even, you don't even notice it. don't even know it. Crazy things are happening inside of you. You're digesting food. You're, you're breathing out poison. You're, all of these things, you're, you're, your mind is, is, is processing the day. All of this is going on while you're trying to order a pizza. All this is going on while you're trying to hurry up and get from work to the school Back to home, back to the school, back to, wait a minute, I forgot the kid at daycare. All of this is going on. <laughs> While you're doing this, living this life of yours. And week after week after week, we don't see what God is doing inside of this church body. But week after week after week, the body is functioning as it is supposed to. It is doing what it is supposed to do. And even when you don't realize it, God is working in you and in all of our brothers and sisters here at the church. This body collectively is growing and maturing and functioning. And God is doing it all by His Spirit. Because he loves us and because he did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world through him might be saved. And when his son left this earth to go back to heaven, when he ascended up into the clouds, he the angels said to those men and women gathered there at that time, why do you stand here looking up at the clouds? The same Jesus that you have seen ascend will come back in like fashion. Until that time, go. Go and do what he said to do. So here we are. Going and doing what he said to do. Who is doing it? You are. And you are, and you are, and you are, we all are. And you know what? My name doesn't have to have a title in front of it. I'm just Jeremy. I'm a part of the body just like you are. But together, through his power, 
He is doing great things. It has nothing to do with your reputation, your money, your wealth, your influence. It has nothing to do with anything about you. It has everything to do with Him working in and through you. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. Is there anything impossible with God? No. Is God capable of doing incredible things with very little? Yes. Yes, He is. So this church that has existed and sustained itself for 2,000 years, the church that is, is, is still active and alive today, was built off of the labors of first names. People just like us. Just like us. And for all of the grandeur and all of the splendor and wonder that we ascribe to the working of the church, it was just regular human beings like me and you that God used and God worked through. How do we know that in this congregation right now, sitting in this room, is not someone with a calling to pastor or to lead, to be an elder, to teach the word? How do we know that there's not someone who has a calling to establish some sort of care ministry or some sort of, of uh, what was it, four or five years ago, we didn't have a, re a recovery ministry here at the church, right? That just happened. How do we know that there aren't other things inside of you that have not even come to the surface yet that you're called to do? Well, come on, Rufus. Come on, Adronicus. Come on, Priscilla and Aquila. Let's get going. Let's get this thing done. It's not who we are, it's who he is. <laughs>